Thanks for joining us today here at Overlake. Hopefully you met somebody new. My name is Neely, and normally... Thank you. Thanks, thanks. Normally on a Sunday morning, I'm down the hall hanging out with junior high and high school students. I've been uh, working with students for nearly 20 years. Um, I started when I was two, so that's how I've done that for that long. But I've been here at Overlake for 10 years, and I'm one of the student ministry pastors, and I love being on this team. Every year I get the chance to kind of travel around and speak at different churches and different conferences. I get to talk about youth ministry. But truthfully, my favorite place to be is down the hall hanging out with our students because your sons and your daughters, they are some really cool teenagers and they love Jesus and it's fun to be a part of watching them pursue Jesus. Yeah, give it up for our teenagers. I love them. I'm also married to Josh McQueen. You might know him. Some of you maybe refer to him as the bearded wonder or Jesus Jr., whatever you call him. We've been married for 15 years. We celebrated that this past Wednesday. We're pretty excited. Yeah. We have three little munchkins, three little kids, and they're awesome. They're a lot of fun. They keep me on my toes, especially during summertime, right? Maybe I'm looking around. I see some familiar faces. Maybe some of you know me. And if you know me, then you would agree with me about this statement about myself, which is this, that I am prone to being inappropriate. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Let's see, I mean, I, I laugh when you're not supposed to. You know, I cry when it doesn't make sense. And I for sure say things that you should not say. <laughs> I mean, I, and I, I'm assuming, like looking in this room, I'm not alone. I, I'm guessing that there are a lot of inappropriate people in here. You people are my people, right? <laughs> yeah, go inappropriate, right? <laughs> Um, I want to prove it to you just for a minute. I just want to prove a little bit of my inappropriateness to you. For example, one of the things that, I I don't know if it's good or bad, but like to me, I think falling is the most hilarious thing in the world. Like when people trip, it's funny. That's funny stuff. You know, I don't want people to get hurt, but I like it. In fact, when I like start to feel bad and like a little depressed and maybe down about what's happening in the world, I just log on to YouTube and there's this video of one of our students. It's amazing. It will make you feel better. Watch this. Her name's Sophia. Oh, yeah. That's going to leave a mark. Yeah. See, students, they're not sharp enough to know they can't make that bench. So don't try that on your way out. Don't try to prove yourself. But I watch that, and I start to feel better. I start to feel like there's a reason to live, right? There are a couple people in my life who do not appreciate this fact about me. The two people are my husband and my kids. Like, don't look for sympathy from me. I'm sorry. Like, I'm trying to ask, how are you doing? But it is, you can't understand it because I'm laughing so hard. It's amazing. But I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone. How many of you laugh at people who um, fall down? See, look, I'm not the only horrible person in the room. I feel like I should warn you horrible people, myself included, that when you laugh at people, it's only a matter of time before it comes back around, Right? So if you need to understand what I'm talking about, check this one out. (laughs) 
I wish I could tell you how many times Josh has watched that video. That's too many to count. Um, I, know, I noticed that some of you like felt uncomfortable laughing because you're like, you're caring. You're, you have a, a soul. And, you've, and I just want to tell you, you can go ahead and laugh. No one was injured in the making of that video. No animals were harmed. Nothing like that. Um, I should tell you, though, that my pride and my confidence in my dancing, my confidence in my jumping skills is real low right now. It's really low. But an, another situation, and this one is totally hypothetical. Totally hypothetical. But say you're in traffic, in LA traffic with your husband, your saint of a husband, and your car stalls. And this is the first time you ever hear your husband cuss. <laughs> now, um, you know, he's since become a pastor. So, you know, he cusses all the time now. But, um, <laughs> I mean, again, this, this is totally hypothetical. But if it were real, this would not be the time to start laughing and pointing at your husband saying, oh my, you just cussed. You just cussed. Like in surprise. I mean, again, if this was real, which it's not, that would be an inappropriate response, right? The reality is that we all kind of respond to things. We respond when things happen to us. And sometimes that response can be appropriate and sometimes, a lot of times in my case, that it can be inappropriate. Today, we're going to look at the life of a woman from the Bible who was labeled inappropriate. That was the label she was given. And if you've been with us for the past few weeks or this is your first time here, we're in the midst of a series called Worshippers. And we're talking about people, biblical characters from the Bible who, who worshiped. We've talked about King David and Hannah, Enoch, Abraham, Paul, and Silas, all people defined by worship. But today we're going to look at this woman, this inappropriate woman, and we're going to look at just one moment in her life, one moment that changed her life forever. And this moment is from the life of Jesus. In this story, we see how this inappropriate woman responds to Jesus in a kind of an extreme way. And here's the deal, is I am certain that we can learn from her, and I think we can learn a lot from the people that were watching her worship. Our story is found in Luke 7, so if you want to turn there or pull out your outline and follow along as we read that together. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owned owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them would love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your home. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. 
And you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, this is a really powerful story, and it kind of doesn't need much, but, much to unpack it, but I want to kind of dig a little, little deeper and look at some of the stuff in there. Jesus has been invited to the house of a Pharisee named Simon. Now, Pharisees were the religious people of the day. They lived righteous lives. They obeyed the rules. And on the outside, we might even call them worshipers. But their hearts were far from God. See, the Pharisees were constantly questioning Jesus. They were trying to figure out who he was. Was he going to be on their side? Was he going to stand with them? Or was he going to be a troublemaker to their system? Even though Simon calls Jesus teacher, which is a high name of regard, it's, he's saying with high respect, you're my teacher, his thoughts are filled with doubt about who Jesus really is. But if we even back up a little bit, when we look at Simon's initial response and reaction to Jesus, they're already pointing to his doubt. See, part of the tradition when you hosted a guest was you would wash their feet or you would offer water for them to wash their feet. They spent their days on dusty roads walking around in Birkenstocks. Their feet were nasty. It's not like our feet. It was gross. That picture doesn't even do justice to what our feet look like their feet look like. So you, as a service to your own self and to them, you would offer them water. But Simon doesn't do that. When you would come into the door, your, your host would greet you with a kiss. They didn't, Simon didn't even do that. See, Simon told us right from the beginning what was in his heart. His response to Jesus is given away. Enter the inappropriate woman. See, this woman had this reputation around town. She was kind of an outcast. She was a woman, and we can assume based on the description that she lived a sinful life, that people knew that, that she was a prostitute. She was an outsider. If you spend any time in the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament at all, you would know that life for this woman was hard. It was difficult. But some reason, she shows up uninvited to this party. I don't know about you, but I don't even like being invited to parties. Like, I'm scared. What if no one's there that I recognize? What do I wear? Do you know how many hours I have to spend thinking about that? Like, I don't, I have a high level of fear about being invited to a party. So please, no invitations. Right? But this woman, she shows up uninvited. What about her? What would give her such courage, such strength to show up uninvited and she knew unwelcomed? Jesus. Jesus. And we don't know what she heard about Jesus. We don't know if she had this encounter with Jesus. We can assume that she had heard heard of his reputation, heard about him. Maybe she had heard how he interacted with the outcasts. Maybe she heard how he interacted with women. Maybe she saw the way that he was with prostitutes. Maybe she had heard his teaching and she thought, this is different. Maybe for the first time she said, this guy offers something that no one else has offered me. Whatever she knew, it gave her this courage and she walked right into this party and she worshiped. She washed his feet with her tears 
and her hair. She anointed him with perfume, and she kissed his feet. I read a quote this week from a Christian writer, and she said this, The gospel is offensive, not because of who it cuts out, but because of who it welcomes in. And here's the deal. This woman finally found someone who welcomed her in. She finally found someone that didn't push her to the outside, but welcomed her and accepted her. And her response was worship. Was worship. So what we learn from this woman, which is the first point on your outline, is this. Worship is our response to Jesus' gift of acceptance. It's simple. This one woman, in one moment, taught us about worship. Worship is a response. It's a response to Jesus and to all that he's given us. Jesus, in the midst of this story, he tells a story, a story within a story, and it's a parable. And this story sums up the gospel. It says this, we have a debt. It's been paid. And our response to that payment is a reflection of whether or not we understand the depth of that gift. In this room, I know that there are a lot of different people, a lot of variety of seasons of life, of spiritual journey. And I think there are a lot of ways we can choose to respond to Jesus today. But today I want to focus on just three of those responses. And some of you, maybe you're in here and you feel like this woman. You feel like this woman before she met Jesus. You've been labeled an outcast. You've been labeled an outcast and not let in. You have felt like you have been locked on the outside. Whether it's from church or family or relationships, you feel on the outside. Or maybe you're like her and you feel like your sin defines you. That who you are, your identity is only what you have done. And there is no way to change that. But then there's this hope. Because you've, you've heard of Jesus. You've got a glimpse of him. And so here you are, you're at church, you're checking it out. And maybe you're skeptical, maybe you have lots of questions. But I want to encourage you today that your first step, your first response to worship is accepting the gift. Is accepting the gift. The gospel message is clear. God is holy and perfect, and we are not perfect. Before I had kids, I kind of remember struggling and having trouble with this idea that we were born sinners. But then I had babies. (laughs) And they cry so much. (laughs) You know, I sit down to eat my meal, and they start crying. Why? I finally start to go into deep sleep, and they start crying. And all I could think to myself when those things were happening is, you are so selfish. All you think about is yourself, baby. You are a dirty little sinner. (laughs) Seriously, it's true. But that's the reality. This is the reality. What the Bible tells us is that we are born sinners, And whether our sin is selfishness or greed or pride or how we treat other people, or maybe it's like this woman, our sin separates us from our perfect God. And that's our debt. But the good news is that's not God's plan. That's not God's desire. He wants us to know him. He wants to be known by him. So he sent his only son, his perfect son, Jesus, to walk the earth to live this perfect life, to teach us a better way 
and then ultimately to die on the cross and pay the price for us. And that's the gift. See, it doesn't matter how great we think our sin is or how little we think our sin is. The debt has been paid because of love. I want you to hear this and remember this. The gospel isn't a story of how bad we are. It's a story of how good our God is. Philip Yancey says it this way. He says, God loves people because of who God is, not because of who we are. See, I think the woman understood this because I think if it was about her, she wouldn't have showed up, on that, showed up to that party. But she got it. It was about God. It was about Jesus and how good and gracious and loving and acceptable he was and merciful. It was about him. And so for some of us, like this woman, our gift, our worship is to just accept the gift. Accept the good news. Admit that you have doubt, uh, debt and say yes to Jesus. But see, accepting can seem like this one-time experience, but it's actually, it's actually not. It's a door that leads us to more opportunities for worship. Worship is like that. It starts in one response, and then it moves us to another response, and it keeps pushing us because worship never leaves us the same. So maybe the next response might be to worship by celebrating the gift. I grew up in the church. I'm a preacher's kid, actually. Try not to hold that against me. But um, whenever the doors were open, I was there. Like, that's just how we were. We were. Not only was I there, but we were there 15 minutes early. Like, we were there for everything. And I grew up in Sunday school. I heard all the stories in the Bible. But somewhere along the line, without even trying, I slipped into this Pharisee role. You know, I might be called an accidental Pharisee. And maybe your story is similar to mine. See, I think it's an easy trap. The longer we are in church, it's easy to forget. It's easy to slip, slip away from the reality that we had a debt. That we, we owe a Savior who paid the price for us. I know it happened to me. I mean, for a lot of years, I, I worship, worship was just another thing I did. You know, I was always the first to volunteer to pray at church. I wanted to impress people with my skills and how I could talk to God. You know, you drop a V and a thou and people are really impressed. You know, like I was saying to people, look at me. I've got it all together. You know, I would obey the rules. And if the pastor said we were supposed to do something, I would do it. Because I thought that somewhere along the line that I could make myself good enough. That I could save myself. That's what the Pharisees thought. They thought, if I obey the law perfectly, I can save myself. I can do all the right things, and I can be debt-free. I can be clean. C.S. Lewis has this great quote. He says this, When a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still left in him. That's the woman. The woman got it. She understood her debt. But he goes on to say this, when a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. And that's the Pharisee. He lost sight of it. See, when Jesus told this parable, Simon immediately identified with the person that has the smaller debt. But if you read between the lines, you know that's not what Jesus is saying. See, Simon struggled to understand the gospel, to understand the good news. And he, he struggled because he was never an outcast. He was never an outsider. 
He was a man of position, a man of power, a man who thought he didn't need saving. And Jesus said many times in the gospel that he didn't come for the, for the righteous and the healthy. He came for the sick and the sinner. So what hope is there for Simon? What hope is there for me? Simon's only hope is to see himself as the one with the bigger debt. Simon's only hope is to understand that his need for forgiveness and his need to be accepted by Jesus is as great, if not greater, than the woman. How is it possible for a man like Simon, who seemingly has it all together, to get that point? I want to unpack that a little later, but first, here's the reality. Here's what we all need to understand, is that every one of us, every person in this, in this room, in this story, is the one with the bigger debt. All of us. We all have incredible brokenness in our lives. The problem is that some of our brokenness is easier to hide or more socially acceptable. And because of that, we forget. We forget what it means that we have been saved. What it means to be unable to pay your own debt. Jesus said in the parable that both of them had a debt. That neither had money. In that moment, the Pharisee and the woman shared a common ground. They stood together. They were the same. Because, again, the reality of the gospel story isn't about how bad or how good we think we are. It's about how good our God is. See, when we make it about us, it leads to two things, guilt or pride. Those are the two responses. When we make it about us, it's either guilt or pride. And that's not the point. But when we make it about God, it leads us to worship. It's about our brokenness, our brokenness that points to a God who heals, who redeems, who restores, who makes all things new. That's the story. So today, our response is to pause and remember the gift, the cost of the gift, the debt that was paid, and to celebrate We worship by reflecting and remembering. That's why we celebrate communion. That's why it's part of our worship. It's an act of remembering, remembering our debt, remembering the price that was paid. And we celebrate it. The final response today is sharing the gift with all people, both the appropriate and inappropriate. The Pharisees made it really clear who was on the outside. It was real clear. And it was also really, really clear that it was hard to get from the outside to the inside. In fact, the only time in the Gospels when you see Jesus angry, it's the only time that you see him angry, is when he's angry that people are being kept away from him. That he's angry that people are being kept on the outside. This woman annoyed Simon. His thoughts said, why is Jesus even letting her touch him? Simon's response to this woman was a barrier to his worship. I want you to think about that for a second. Are there people that you have allowed to become barriers to your worship? He wanted his encounter with Jesus to be exclusive. Instead of being moved by this woman's act of worship, he was bothered by it. 
this is a mystery I don't fully understand, but worship is both a personal experience and a corporate experience. See, we need each other in worship. Worship becomes more powerful when we become inclusive, when we become inviting. Because as others who are different than us, as they encounter and experience Jesus, we learn a new way to encounter and experience Jesus. Mother Teresa explained this um, much better than I'm doing right now, but when she spoke of how the poor and the sick helped her understand the gospel, she said that as she watched their desperation for the good news, as she watched their great joy in the gospel, when she would tell the Beatitudes to the poor and the sick, when she would say, blessed are the poor, blessed are those that mourn, They were filled with great joy. And what she said is her own understanding of her great need for the gospel began to grow and be expanded. See, when I see those who have been comforted by God, I understand my own great need to be comforted. When I see others experience Jesus for the first time, I begin to understand my need to experience him again and again. When we share this gift of acceptance that Jesus gave to us, we're inviting others in to experience God's love. And when this happens, when we share worship, this is is crazy. It is a benefit for others, but it is also a benefit to us. That when we share it, that our own experience grows that we begin to understand more deeply and more richly the God that loves us and accepts us as we watch those who have never heard that experience that. It leads to deep worship. And I don't know about you, but I want a deeper level of worship. I want to experience it. I want to see it afresh and new. So the invitation to worship is response. It's to respond to respond by accepting that gift, to respond by pausing and reflecting and celebrating it in your own life, and to respond by inviting others in. I want to tell you about a family here at Overlake as I close. This family at Overlake chose to worship first, even despite their challenging circumstances. A few months ago, this family lost their home to a fire that, according to firefighters, they shouldn't have even survived. And in the wake of this loss, they heard about a baby boy who was growing up in a home where there was neglect and all kinds of issues. And because of the messages that Pastor Mike was talking about and the conversations we were having here at Overlake about worship first and outlandish love, this family decided, they made a decision in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of trying to reestablish their life, find a home, that they were going to invite this little boy into their life. See, in an onlooker, Someone looking from the outside would say, you know what, that doesn't make sense. In fact, you know what, that decision's kind of inappropriate. It's not very responsible of you to make that decision right now. It's inappropriate. But that's exactly what Christ is calling us to as followers. That living in such a way that if the gospel wasn't true, our lives would make no sense. And when we truly believe how good our God is, how gracious and accepting he is, when we really believe that, we do crazy things, like inviting the least of these into our homes, like sharing the gift of Jesus' acceptance with others, even when it's not convenient. Because here's the reality. 
Worship rarely is. As we close today, I'd love for you to bow your heads. And for a minute, I just want you to imagine what it would look like if we worshiped like this woman. What would it look like if we chose to be vulnerable and brave in our response to Jesus? How different would our lives look? Maybe you've been checking out Overlake for a while. Maybe, maybe today is the day that you accept that gift that Jesus is offering you. And maybe you're in here and you, you have a, a slight realization that maybe you've become a Pharisee. And may you in this moment make a decision to recognize your own doubt, your own debt, and include others. Imagine what our church would look like if we worshiped first. Who would we invite in that we have been keeping out? And how would this kind of worship change our community? And may we have the courage of the inappropriate woman to do it. Let's pray. Jesus, I am in awe of who you are and your grace and your love and your mercy and your acceptance of me, acceptance of us, God. And I pray for my heart and the hearts in this room, God, that we would take a moment and we would respond to you. We would respond to how good and glorious you are. God, that we would remember our debt, but realize that even in the midst of our debt, it's not about us, it's about you. Jesus, may we include others, may we invite, may we bring women like this one alongside us that they might teach us what it means to know you in a deeper way, God. May we be a church who worships first. In Jesus' name, amen.